Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast from America Media for Saints and Sinners. You can join us each week for honest conversations about the Catholic Church in our world today, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Good to be with you, Ashley. We yeah. have a great show coming up this week. We do. I did want to say <laughs> when Cardinal Hallrick was introducing the current topic for discussion at the Synod, he started his speech by saying, I think we can all agree when I say we're tired. <laughs> I have boundless energy. <laughs> okay. I am not tired. All I'm right. ready to keep podcasting. That's very true. And I'm very excited for our conversation this week. That's right. We are interviewing someone who is a voting member at the Synod on Synodality. We're talking to Jose Manuel de Urquidi, who's the founder and CEO of Juan Diego & Co. and one of the Mexican delegates at the Synod. Yeah. And Juan Diego & Co., they also have a part of it called the Juan Diego Network, which is a network of 90 podcasts that cater to the Latino community in Mexico and the United States and many other countries around the world. Um, and it's really an important service to a growing part of the U.S. Catholic Church, soon to be a majority Latino church in the U.S., and he's just a fascinating guy. He's worn many hats in his life, which we get into. And he's currently known for his attire wearing a hat at this synod. So yes. you'll see sometimes we go down and watch everybody walk in, and the priests and the cardinals, they're in black, naturally. Uh, some of the sisters are in their religious habits, but even like most of the lay people are in some kind of business attire. And I'm not saying he's not in business attire, but he is wearing a baseball cap with a blazer, a t-shirt, and maybe jeans. It's good to see a like, quote unquote, normal person kind of inside the synod hall. Fascinating guy, fascinating story. Stay tuned for that conversation. We are going to have a drink. Jose brought a very special drink for us, and you'll hear some of that in the interview. So make sure you have your bar cart close by. But first, we have a few words from our sponsor this week. Well, this timing couldn't be more perfect. We're here in Rome covering the Synod on Synodality. And so there's no better time to tell you about an upcoming conference at the University of San Diego that will explore what it means to be a Catholic college or university today. It's called Lighting the Way Forward, and it'll look at timely topics like climate change, structural racism, polarization, and the lack of trust in institutions. They're asking really honest questions that affect all of us, just like they're doing at the Synod. Yeah, so the conference is taking place from January 11th to 13th, 2024. And this speaker lineup is pretty dynamite. We've got Cardinal Robert McElroy, who's a frequent writer in America, friend of the podcast, also here at the Synod. Vincentian Father Dennis Holtschreider, who's the president of the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities, and our friend and colleague, Gloria Purvis, who's the host of the Gloria Purvis podcast. So for the complete lineup and to register for the Lighting the Way conference, visit their website at sandiego.edu slash lighting. That's sandiego.edu slash L-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. All right, before we get to our conversation with Jose, we have a abbreviated Signs of the Times this week. We just wanted to give you an idea of what's happening right now at the Synod. 
That's right. So right now, this week, we started the fourth module of the Synod. And what that really means is the final thematic discussion of the Synod. This next part is going to be sort of what happens next. And this is sort of the last substantive topic matter. Yeah. And so the theme is participation, governance, and authority. And the main question they're addressing here is what processes, structures, and institutions are needed in a missionary synodal church? And so what that really comes down to is the role of different people in the church. And one of the main things that people are discussing here is the role of the bishop specifically. That's right. So how bishops exercise their ministry, um, what kind of people do they have around them? Uh, something that's come out is like they, you know, bishops have to have competent professionals around them, you know, whether they be financial or legal, um, otherwise, because they have a, they're, they're managing these like massive institutions that require a lot more than theological training. And it's actually connected to the synod itself and the fact that this is the first synod of bishops where it's not only bishops here and not only bishops voting. And so that raises the question of what is a synod of bishops when <laughs> it's not just bishops? Yeah. And something that we've heard that's been coming up in small groups is more collaboration with the church, the whole church, lay people included, for the appointment of bishops right now that, you know, comes from on high. Inside the Vatican did a great deep dive a little while back on how bishops are chosen. But it seems like the church, based on these small table discussions happening at the Synod, is a little dissatisfied about the level of synodality or collaboration that's happening in the way that bishops are appointed. So that would be a huge change if there are reforms to that. And that's just one of the conversations that we know is happening at these small group discussions. We know they're also discussing the role of lay people, the role of National Bishops Conference and things like that. Some other things that we've learned this week about the Synod is the final document is going to be pretty short. And one of the other interesting things is that when Cardinal Hollerick was introducing this module, he he kind of gave this a nod to the fact that people are watching this with great hope and expectation for real concrete changes. And while I don't think that the final document that comes out is going to you know offer proposals necessarily for like big, super concrete changes, at least not for this next year before the next meeting. But it was interesting that, you know, it seems like synod people on the inside are at least paying attention to those calls. Mm -hmm. And one last thing that I think is worth bringing to listeners is a concrete thing that we heard about what's happening in the Synod Hall, an acknowledgement that they're really a heart-rending emotional conversation. So in his spiritual reflection introducing this fourth module, the Dominican priest Timothy Radcliffe talked about those conversations and revealed that Quote, many of us wept when we heard of that young woman who committed suicide because she was bisexual and did not feel welcome. And then he said, I hoped it changed us. So that was just a very striking thing to be made public about these very intimate and to this point, secret conversations. Yeah, that's right. So we don't have a clear window into all of these, but it's clear you know, from that story alone that these are intense conversations, they're important conversations. And so we're going to be still, we're still on the ground in Rome for the next couple of weeks. We're going to be bringing you as much as we can from inside the Senate Hall, starting with our conversation with Jose Manuel de Uchidi. Joining us in Rome is Jose Manuel de Orquiti. Jose is the founder and CEO of Juan Diego and Co. and a voting member of the Synod on Synodality. And an excellent bartender. Thank you so much Hello. for bringing. Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say that yet. All we've done is look at what you've brought. But do we want to like get these poured and ready to go? Let's do it. Okay. So could you describe what you brought for us? This is a mezcal. This last 10 years, it 
it's having a sort of a comeback and it's the like the brother of tequila right brother all right i'm gonna let you pour okay talk. So, i have a heavy hand sometimes so i don't want to this is espadin which is the most let's say the entry level agave you'd like to try and there's around 40 different agaves you can create mezcal from so this is the entry level mezcal entry level all right yeah so well, let's hey. see how it is cheers cheers First of all, do you know how to drink mezcal? Mm -mm. No. You're supposed to not act as a spring breaker, but actually kiss it. <laughs> all right. Well, it. I already messed that up. <laughs> so what did you sense? I'm curious, Zach. <laughs> I get like some like, obviously some peaty, smoky exactly. flavors. Yeah, we wouldn't say peaty because we're not Scotch. We're not Scottish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that's one of the differences with tequila. It's underground. It's more artisanal, but the way it's cooked, like the agave, and covered by maguey and stuff, so you have a lot of the smoke. Mm -hmm. And tequila is normally more industrialized on the top, right? This first phase. Okay. I see. This is great. Normally, we're providing drinks for people, so I love when someone <laughs> brings something for yeah, us. Yeah, when so. I was asked to come here, I was like, what, what are we drinking? So <laughs> I have some mezcal here in Rome, so... Awesome. Oh, oh, this is the other thing. You brought... You just, of course. So you even picked to... Repertoire of uh, Mezcal and Tequila to, to share with people here. And, and well, you carried it, it with all the way across the Atlantic. Exactly. You, you didn't trust Rome <laughs> to have a good selection. Oh, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so... You warned us that you could talk about mezcal for an hour, so we'll, yeah, let's... we'll continue to drink it and maybe <laughs> shift the conversation, uh, both through your work in the, in, the, in the States and here at the Synod. Yeah, so maybe could you um, just give us a little bit of your own background, tell us about Juan Diego Network and Co. Cool. So, well, I'm from Monterrey, Mexico. I'm the oldest of six. Very, well, I was born into a family that's practicing my parents started a covenant community, founded a covenant community in Mexico 40-something years ago. And I was always very Catholic, so to speak. Is no? that like a charismatic? Yeah, so a charismatic, okay. exactly. And then in my, like my teenage years, I started having lots of doubts, right? Mm -hmm. And I always got this half faith from my like youth leaders. No? And I was looking for sort of answers. Of course, the internet 20 plus years ago was a different thing that right now, but everything that I could find was like this old Spanish that didn't actually spoke to me, right? Mm. And I decided to go in the summer, uh, 20 years and a bit ago to St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, spent the summer there and I, long story short, came out realizing that I could ask questions, that there was cool and engaging things that mm. could happen around asking questions are you and, and, and how old are you when you're doing this 17 18 yeah I, so I, a time when you have a lot of questions exactly yeah. and it was very important for me to realize that i could mm -hmm. i could ask questions and that these people engaged with me and they were also curious about my questions and about my journey in the faith and that's so after that summer i sort of made a promise uh, to god that i later forgot a bit or just like I do that all the time there. yeah hey if you get me through this I swear I'll do this and then exactly yeah. well here it was like now that I know that you really exist and that I can ask questions and stuff I'm, I'm guessing I'm not the only like Mexican with these questions right so I made a promise that I would be helping other like Mexican young uh, young people or however to, to really engage with him in, in cool different ways. I didn't know what I was talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, law school, 
got married, a brewery, bar, brewery. Yeah, like bars. there's, I, I, I could spend like hours talking about that journey. So, so <laughs> we'll condense it. But I'm in, very interested in the bars and the brew pubs. But uh, we've already well, talked a lot about alcohol, so we'll keep going. Exactly. So I had fun going to beer festivals and then lobbying with these firms and trying to get like Congress passed pass laws and and selling my beers in Walmart all over and and Sorianas and HEVs and that sort of like supermarkets all over Mexico and beer festivals and tastings, et cetera, et cetera. And I started a brew pub, then another, then a, uh, another bar. And then like... You remembered your promise thing, to God? <laughs> it's, not like I, I, it's not like I had completely forgotten because it's not that I went completely astray, but I just didn't want to like do it. No? Mm -hmm. Go so it was all always in, sort right? of like yeah. there, but I didn't even know what you that You can evangelize meant. at a bar. <laughs> yeah, like maybe right now I shouldn't just like cut everything, right? Well, here we are, right? Yes, exactly. But like this thing was there and it became more evident. I take a while. I'm always saying no to God and going the other way completely that he calls me to. So it took a while and I was uh, in this world and then started a family. My oldest uh, was, was born. And it was like weird, no? A certified mixologist, beer, and, and traveling weekends to where people are getting drunk and at nights and my bars. So it's like, what are you doing with your life, no? I knew I had to do something, but I was in the middle of these different things. And that was my second life, right? Because my first adult life, I was a, a lawyer, financial, like took uh, I was in charge of that. You're also, what, like 39 right now? Yeah, exactly. So you've lived 39. a lot of lives in the short time. I'm in my life. third life. Yeah. My third <laughs> adult life. Hopefully the last. <laughs> if not, my wife would kill me if I continue <laughs> having more lives. Like this thing was there, but I hadn't any clarity at all. I discovered a podcast when I was living in Mexico City, 2012. Then I discovered there were Catholic podcasts. And trying to find for things in Spanish and stuff. And there weren't, uh, or at least not what you would actually call, call podcasts. Like, yes, there were some recordings of a homily <laughs> badly recorded. And that was a podcast of some priest or whatever. But, but well, started a, a podcast with a friend in which we talked with people very casually as if we were having a drink. Sounds familiar. Uh, normal stuff. Uh, yeah, 2018. And it started, like, it took off, right? And it was top top charts all over, at least 20 countries each week, et cetera, et cetera. People, a lot of testimonies, witnesses. And then it done me, ah, because I still had all the other stuff, right? Like, this is it. And then, of course, perspective is, or how to say it? Hindsight, hindsight is 2020. 2020. Then I was, like, rushing to get rid of everything, like, brewery, bar, like, everything. Hey, immediate, <laughs> immediately they left everything and followed him. The gospel tells. Not that immediately. <laughs> and now, well, the first thing was like Juan Dio Network. Uh, now we have around 90 podcasts, 90 different shows that we have produced, created, and we promote, distributed, mostly in Spanish. How did you go from one to 90? <sighs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and don't ask me how, how many of those are paid. Like it's like 99.9 or .9 like pro bono, yeah. every sense of the fiction, nonfiction, et cetera, trying to, to reach different different ages, different uh, people in their, different parts of their journey, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And is most of your audience in the US or in Mexico? Originally, I, I was aiming like, let's say like people like, like when I had those doubts, right? Yeah. Mexican people. And, and then like a big 
chunk of the audience started listening in the US without any plan. Let's say it wasn't the, the plan. Now it's the first country uh, with the most the listens. And the, and and well, we started then realizing, and of course I've always traveled and done a lot of things in the States. I have family in the US, etc. that there was a lot of need to engage Latinos, soon to be half of Catholics in the US. And you mean more than just like one Spanish mass at a parish? Uh, yes, exactly. Oh, no, and more than 12th of December, uh, <laughs> that's your thing and that's it. The other 30, 364 days are ours. Yeah, there's probably more more needs that are not being met. <laughs> exactly. And, and well, that reality was clear, but also, of course, Latinos. What does Latino mean, right? Mm-hmm. Like 20-something different kinds of countries, like different countries, different backgrounds, first generation, second generation, third generation, et cetera, et cetera, right? But started seeing that there was this need and the church, uh, church in the U.S., because I hate when people say the American church, no, church in the U.S., right, wasn't really engaging them. And a lot, of course, were leaving. And yeah, dioceses or, or different Catholic organizations, a lot of podcasts, videos, cool magazines, cool prog- programs and stuff for for young Americans, right? English speakers. And for Hispanics, uh, maybe some translation and most probably Google Translate or and we have this brochure or we have this thing for you. And that was that's that's not doing it for them. Yeah. Latinos. And not only so you mentioned that a lot of them a lot of young Latinos are leaving, but for a while in the US like the idea among Anglo Catholics was like, oh, this is this is going to save us. The, the immigrants will keep replenishing the Catholic Church in the United States. And where I think a lot of people were pretty complacent about ministering to young people. Yeah. That's like the paradox or sorts is, yes, Latinos, whether we're wanted or are ready or not, very soon will be the majority of the church. But anyhow, Latinos are leaving, young Latinos are leaving. So yeah, the trend is, is not stopping. It's not like so many Latinos leaving the church is stopping what, what you just said. So that's happening. But we're losing so many souls because they don't feel welcome. Of course, there's a long list of things. Now, we're really not doing anything to to get to them. And Disney+, Plus, Prime, Netflix, all, all of these other things, they're investing millions in Latinos, millions to get them, right? And of course, well, other things, but but we aren't. Yeah, you're exactly right. Because like, that's the church's competition, right? And an attention for eyeballs. I think people forget about that sometimes. But you exactly. know, you're know, you very digitally savvy and you realize there's the attention economy is all the same, right? I want to shift a little bit to your involvement with the Digital Synod. So you clearly have this background where you saw sort of this, this opportunity, this need that wasn't being met in this digital space for an audience. And you really fulfilled, I think, you've served a lot of people. And so naturally, you are a good fit for the Vatican's Digital Synod Initiative, but we haven't really talked about that a ton on this podcast yet. So could you maybe just explain for our audience what that was and how you got involved? Sure. So first of all, we never called it the Digital Synod. It feels a little like 1990s. No, and and either two things. One, it seems like a parallel synod, which is not, right? Mm -hmm. Or two, like, really? The first phase was about listen. Imagine listening, right? Imagine telling people, this is the digital sin. What the heck is that? What's the sin? What's that? Like, no. So so it was the church is listening. That's that. That's the name. Uh, officially, et cetera. Although now it's easier for a lot of people to see it as a digital sin. And so at the beginning. No, but th- this is crucial because you you started where people were, right? Exactly. You didn't just, you didn't put up a sign. Um, come to the digital sin. Come synod. to the digital sin. Here's synod. the Zoom link. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you how we got there. 
the the beginning of well the, the synod started yes all these different uh, activities in parishes or dioceses doing stuff who were going the same people that are already active right so vast majority of people in the church even don't understand what a synod is mm-hmm. so you give an announcement at mass or put on a uh, something in the bulletin like what am i going to no idea right so I had met uh, Monsignor Lucio, Secretary of the Dicastery of Communications here at the Holy See, and he sent me a WhatsApp before going last year to Washington, D.C., March, April. Last year means 2022. And uh, and and there, like, talking, and we need to bring the Senate to where the people are at. Jung, the Jung are not participating, and most of baptized aren't participating, the, those that are not practicing, right? And we have to get to those people. We don't want to compete with those that are already going to church uh, uh, and participating in the listening sessions, et cetera, et cetera. We need to be there listening to everyone, right? So we took a while to to understand what, well, I took a while to understand what the synod was, and I'm still trying to figure it out. It's only two uh, weeks into the first meeting, so you got exactly. some time still. <laughs> exactly. But but it was very cool like seeing Monsignor Lucio such a such a hard like trying to be out there and to to really answer to the Pope's calling or the church's calling at the end, right? To be to be out there listening to everyone. And at first that was one of the questions. Like I'm like, explain to explain, please explain why we should be listening to people. Because it was something that I was hearing from everyone, right? Like, why do you listen to people that are not coming to church? What? You're going to be changing church's doctrine and dogmas and teachings and even discipline and stuff. He gave me several examples, but but one that, that stuck with me. When you go to a doctor, what do you do? The doctor first asks you, right? Tell me. He doesn't start by, ah, you should be doing this and that and, mm. and change. He first needs to listen and to see what. What hurts? What are your habits? What are you weaning? What are you doing? Like all those sort of things, right? And then he might point you in the right direction. And of course, then it's your choice, right? But 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 first he needs to listen, right? And that's the church as a mother, as a teacher, as a well, not as a doctor per se, right? But but we first need to listen and to to all of these people that are roaming the internet for hours and hours each day in search of meaning, in search of love, in search of truth. We need to listen first. If not, how can we get to them? How how can we attract them to Christ, right? And to his church. That's very important. So that first phase, we started, <laughs> he told me, get five like Catholic influencers, which I hate the word, so now I'm gonna be using <laughs> digital missionaries, but I wanted to make it clear now so so people understand what I'm talking about. And uh and gather them and we created like these ideas on a questionnaire and, and polls and stuff to do on podcast instagram tiktok to start listening and so you were trying kind of all kinds of different ways to get it feedback, was right yeah so that was the first phase we started uh, at the end of the first phase of the listening phase the called diocesan phase by september 2022 when we sent the uh, the synthesis we were around 200 digital missionaries now we're close to 2,000, right? So what does we mean? It's a network of missionary, uh, uh, yeah, digital missionaries who are already sort of doing stuff, but 
So are, th- are these like popular TikTok accounts, mm-hmm. Instagram accounts, yeah, podcasters? Yeah, you, you have everything. You have people from five, ten thousand maybe followers to hundreds, uh, hundreds of thousands, and maybe some bit over a million uh, in different parts, like not just TikTok, Instagram, which is what people think about like influencer, right? But post- podcasters, YouTube, people very active on WhatsApp with lots of groups, people who who write like bloggers, people who are in the digital environments, right? Trying to either form or evangelize people, right? And I know how you find those people. How did you find the people who are not attached to the church, not practicing, non-believing? How do you actually identify those people and get them to talk to you? Well, we tried to invite people in as digital missionaries who were trying to be like in the existential peripheries of the internet. No, For instance, the first phase, the synthesis, around 30% of the people who who answered like or who we listened to, non-practicing, which it's a big number. It's the yeah. biggest number, right? Yeah. And of course, people were very afraid of oh, what that would be. At the end, it's normal stuff, right? People want to go the, back to basics, to Jesus, <laughs> loving, uh, merciful Jesus, etc., uh, etc. Et but that was a, a very important part that we realized in that phase was how much a difference it made to the digital missionaries to be accompanied by the church. Because normally, their bishop doesn't even know them. They don't even work with, of course, they don't work within the structures of the church. They're doing their thing. Some have formation, some don't. So it could be like they're by their own, but they're not, right? The mission is of every baptized. And now being together, like we had lots of masses, prayer times, like open like discussions and stuff, trying to understand what this is, and then sending and uh, sending and receiving so many of the of their what they listen to, and then so many testimonies and stuff, just to the digital missionaries that helped a, a lot. Well, I, I'm so excited about this because it's been apparent for a, a while that like the way the church operates, it's very controlled, right? It's got it's very clear structures, and it's like, oh, you want to start a group. Well, first, maybe go to your pastor, which will be contained in your parish, and then maybe you could go to the diocesan level or the national level or the continental level. Maybe you can fit (laughs) into a dicastery. It's not how the internet works at all. Not at all. (laughs) Right? And so the church has been, I think, very slow to kind of catch up to this. And so when I hear some of these things, it's really exciting. I'm like just grateful that people like you are at least paying attention to this question. But I do worry, does anybody within that structure really get it? Or, or, or is it uh, far and few between the, the number of people that really understand the reality of the digital space? Since the beginning, there have there have been a lot of people like within the structures that are sort of promoting this and that believe on this, starting from pastors to bishops to archbishops, cardinals, like all over. So, so there are people who get it, but the thing is trying to make them understand two things, right? First, the internet, et cetera, like the podcast and whatever, this is not a tool, right? Which is the first thing that they think of as Instagram or whatever. It's not a tool. It's a culture. And it's a culture we need to be in. We need to engage with. We need to get the worth there, the love of God there. And, but, but first, we need to be there and, and enculturate it, right? And, and that's one very important thing. And then too, these people that are there are not influencers. They're not like 
they're not communicators, right? It's not the old one communicator and the recipient one way. No, it's a culture. So they are digital missionaries that are going there, speaking the language of the culture, listening, seeing what the seeds of the verb are there, and trying to trying to get the word of God there. And of course, then make well what the Pope tells us not attract people because we shouldn't be like forcing on them Bibles and stuff, right? But but it's important first those two things. It's not a tool, it's a culture, and it's not communication, just communication. It's a mission. It's digital missionaries, right? And part of that culture, I think they kind of present tensions or contradictions. And so there's the distance. You can reach people who would never step foot inside a church. But with that, you lose the real importance of face-to-face. -face. There are things in the Catholic faith that cannot be shared over the internet. And then also there's the aspect of a lot of conversations being anonymous, which on the one hand gives people the freedom to, to ask the questions that they have and, and share their hurt. But it also encourages <laughs> trolls and really, Ooh, really, really Twitter. bad behavior. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering in these conversations, how you navigated those tensions. First of all, people who are practicing, we're trying to be an option for them and to be, to help them know more their faith and, and form themselves, etc. But then the largest audience, where the mission is, is to all those that are not going to church. So it's very easy to fall into this false dichotomy or like this thing that, okay, you're making people not go to church, right? Which they're not going to church. And we can say, yes, welcome. No, we have to go and get them where they are. And they are spending hours and hours in the internet. That's where we need to, to go get them. And then, of course, in the culture, we present them the person, Jesus, right? And his love, etc. And hopefully they'll be attractive. And then we need to bring them back, right? To the church, which is, he became incarnate, not an avatar or a, or a Twitter account or whatever, right? You said earlier you hate the word influencers. I'm curious how you would... <laughs> differentiate between a digital missionary and a an influencer or a grifter maybe <laughs> well that's no i won't call anybody that's out a, but <laughs> that's a different uh, i don't know if i i can talk about the grifter part but at least the influencers if you see the secular influencers like they are really attracting followers for their own good right for their own sake to whatever they want to get right either followers, so, so they get views and then they get paid something because of someone, something that they're promoting or, or some advertising or whatever to sell their own stuff, right? And their ego grows per, <laughs> as the followers grow. So we, who are trying to be digital missionaries, it's very important that the part of the formation, and that doesn't only mean like on church's teachings, etc., but also on the human part. And that, like, it's very easy to start having followers in social media and to start believing they are following you. And you have to shine like the moon, right? You have to shine, uh, like, and reflect get, the light reflect of the sun. The, exactly, not shine, reflect the, the light of the sun and bring people to Christ. So that's the difference. If it's all about my pictures and, and I'm a Catholic influencer and I'm doing just stuff that, that helps me and promotes me and me and me and me and my thing, 
um, that's a Catholic influencer. Digital missionaries are are presenting Christ, His love, His mercy to everyone there, and attracting them to Him. Right? He's an instrument. He's not that thing. I'm happy to do both as long as I get free Haribo gummy bears. At some point. <laughs> that would be like the brand collaboration I would like or, to do as a Catholic or, or influencer. Mezcal. Or mezcal. Yeah, mm -hmm. if I can get some free mezcal. Then, then I'll do both. I will, bring, I will point people to Jesus and also benefit. <laughs> uh, we've, we've discussed your many hats, so I want to talk about your current hat literally and figuratively at the Synod. <laughs> because I don't know if you know this, you've uh, developed a reputation okay. as, as the guy in the Synod Hall with a baseball cap. <laughs> It's very easy to spot. <laughs> you've seen on the you, you've been yeah, on the yeah. media. Yeah, I'm up in the crowd, and it's like I see a lot of like priests and black and nuns, and uh, and then there's a baseball cap, and I was like, ah, we gotta talk to that guy. Yeah, I, I talked yesterday morning with the Pope before the general congregation. I was talking with him, and I was of course dressed like this. I don't disguise myself when I go to the synod halls, right? And I was asking him among other things that we were talking about, like. Do you mind? Like, did like the different times that I have talked uh, on uh, appeared on all the screens and stuff. I'm like this with my cap. Like, do you actually mind? Cap, because and we should say t-shirt and blazer. Exactly, so and, and the cap <laughs> uh, and my and tennis tennis shoes, etc. Like, so and he's like, oh no, keep on going and like. Just so the like, Pope has blessed this outfit. Apparently, even wow. though I know some people don't like. It <laughs> I'm sure there are some people. Some. That don't like it. Um, just uh, as much as you feel comfortable talking about, uh, how has the synod been so far? What's your experience been? I think right now that we're like halfway past through it, or a bit, bit more towards the end, it has been such a, such a different experience. And for me, for instance, I, you, you guys know my, my first language is Spanish, right? So, uh, but I didn't choose Spanish, Spanish tables. I chose English. Why? Because of the richness of the church. I wanted to get out of my bubble. It's very easy in the U.S. or West like to be in this bubble and just fighting over different things. And we should say, like, English is actually probably the most universal it language is. group here it in the Synod, right? Because it's a lot of people's first, second language. Exactly. And, and you have a richness of, of, yeah, diverse people from diverse backgrounds, cultures, etc. I've had groups in which we have all the continents present imagine that that rich you have you have a member of a church that is persecuted a member of a local church that has a springtime or whatever vocations you have like minorities people that are like you have all the realities of the church so that i think for me as a as a lay as lay uh, has been a great thing to realize the, that and to be open to the different also charisms and and different like callings within the church and to understand a bit how the church is universal in every sense of the what Catholic means, right? And that has been great. Of course, the first day that everyone was dressed up, yes, it was overwhelming for me with my like <laughs> dress like this, like all oh, so many red and purple and, and stuff. But but then like they're really open in a lot of senses, like the cardinals, archbishops, etc. They they really want to listen to the lay people. And also another thing that has been really great that apparently before it was not like this, all that time for prayer and silence and really listening to the Holy Spirit after the, the interventions, but also the retreat we had, that has been a great thing for, for me uh, to, to be 
really open to understand. Starting with a retreat. Starting with a retreat and all the prayer times that we have during the day. Like, it's, it might seem like, like, could you just describe because for people, like, what, how, sure. how, where is prayer interjected throughout? So, the first day? of all, most people start the day with a mass, but that, like, there's a uh, mass at the Basilica of St. Peter at 7 30, and well, the one thing at the NAC. I think there's just like seven. That's or the seven. North American College. Where North American um, College. So like wherever people are staying, they can do their own mass. Exactly. Do and we mass. have a, a mass every time that a, a module starts. We have a mass all together at the Basilica of St. Peter, which I think you guys can go. Yeah, yeah. So, and then we have lots normally in the morning. And, and then after every intervention, there's a small, very small, like maybe a minute or so moment of prayer and silence. But every three uh, interventions, we have four minutes of, of silence, which is great. So you're listening to someone and maybe there's things like, oh, I don't understood or I'm against or maybe I was too excited about those times. Like you're trying to really listen to Holy Spirit, <laughs> sort of like calm yourself and see what's really from the Holy Spirit and stuff. So that happens a lot during the day. I have recordings, I'll show them to you, how everything, you have the Pope there and his table, everyone, it's just like, that silent and you see everyone praying why do i have the records well that's sometimes i go to the bathroom in those times and <laughs> I, I come back and it's like everyone praying and that happens i don't know how many times during the day which is great you're a, a lay married man and father which there has never been people like you involved in synod as voting members so i'm curious what is that experience like sitting at these round tables with bishops and cardinals and bringing that experience to the universal church. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, it's weird. Since I got in May, I received the, like a letter, like we're nominating, you're in the short list. We're going to send 20 to the Pope and the Pope will choose 10 for Latin America. Did you send it an audition tape, like The Bachelor or something? <laughs> yes, you wanted to show it? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> no, but, but I'm involved, of course. The church is listening, the Digital Synod. And, well, I'm now living in Dallas, but I was invited or nominated by the by the Latin American Council of Bishops, right? I was like, what? Like, why me, right? Can I uh, clarify something? Was it a physical letter? No, it was an email. Okay, it was, it was an email. Email, I was email but it was like a... A scanned version of a <laughs> of a letter. <laughs> just you know, just being like, since we're talking about digital things, uh, I just uh, a scanned version of a of a of a yeah, of an actual letter okay, signed, sorry. like hand signed Got and it. stuff. Got it. So since the beginning, it was really weird. And then one month, like I'm married, I have three kids. And one month, and I like most of the lay people, at least everyone that I know. I'm hoping there's more, but everyone works in us in the in the church's structure, right? Either a diocese or maybe some parish, but diocese, conference, or university. You could say like, to your I boss, don't. like, hey, I'm going to... No, no, like, he sends you. Like, it's a work, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. a work travel or whatever. Right. And and for me, I have, first of all, to get permission from my wife, right? She's yeah. my boss. That's the superior. That's the <laughs> superior in your household. <laughs> exactly. So, well, that was a, a synodal journey. <laughs> <laughs> synodal process. <laughs> So, so it's very weird. Like, I still don't understand why I'm here. And well, of course, the Holy Spirit has its own fun way of making things. Mm -hmm. But I'm discovering not why I'm here or how, but what am I supposed to do now, like after? Mm -hmm. And it's weird, as you say, being like most tables have the only a 
there. So yes, it's weird. And I'm always, besides, I'm always like uh, digital mission, digital mission. Yeah. So and do you feel I, like people weird, are no? listening? Like, yes. Yeah. I don't know if I can go into details about that, but, but whenever there's general congregations now, I'm not the only one. Well, or, or Sister Siskia, we're not the only ones like talking about the digital missionaries and the, the, the urgency the church needs to be out there in the existential periphery of the internet. A lot of people get it. Some people might not know how or might like, there's a lot of questions. And as a church, we need to, to start asking those questions and studying them. And of course, experimenting and not wanting to control, et cetera, et cetera. But people get it. That's where they are. And they know we need to be there. What would you say to young people following along on this podcast that might have hopes and expectations about what to kind of expect from the from, synod? From the synod yeah. itself? Mm -hmm. Well, I, first of all, these, after this first session, I, I would really urge everyone who's listening to get involved. But apparently we're going to have a document and we're supposed to be working sort of executing or bringing to life some of the things or, or at least start exploring questioning on the different topics and then come back in a year and have that other the second last session so everyone who's listening can be involved in the synod this is the thing like we're trying to uh, during the synod we're trying to okay in the light of of the vatican second vatican council take hold of our responsibility each has in the church and, and that's it, right? I have to admit, I've been pretty embarrassed that I didn't actually go to my parish listening session <laughs> I when it first well. started. And now I've been trying to like evangelize for the synod. And I'm like, oh, I should have done that. But it's good <laughs> to hear that it's not too late for me to get involved at the more local level. Yeah, it's not. But the local level and the national level and the so-called digital synod, like there's a lot of ways. Jose, thank you so much. You're so busy. I, I cannot emphasize how long your days are to our audience. Um, so I we really appreciate, it. especially during lunchtime. You know, having some mezcal for lunch. That's it's not so bad. You know, well, you just told people that we're having lunch on mezcal. <laughs> that, I have, that I have to go back to a session and start. I think you're going to feel stuff. inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, but before we let you go, we have one question that we ask all our guests, and it's that if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not fictional or real, uh, missionary or influencer, who would it be and why? So I'm trying to push like lay people, uh, the work that we need to do and a lay architect that is a great example for everyone and that should be canonized, hopefully, is Gaudi. Hopefully when the uh, Sagrada, well, Barcelona, the cathedral is finished, hopefully soon, some years, we'll have at least the... The blessed, the beatification mass there. Of course, that's a dream, right? But I think wow. he's a, he has a very interesting start, uh, story, like life story, and it would be cool to have him. I've been told that. that there's like um, the that'll be finished, maybe never. But I think let's let's mark no, it they down. They just they just finished one of the like the most important. Yeah, the news oh, yeah. just came out yeah. that it's they're oh, getting close. That's great. very close. All right, so manifest this. We're gonna. I'll yeah. see you at the beatification mass. Let's do it. Uh, where where can people find out more about the Juan Diego Network? Co? Well, li LinkedIn, you can go on and find Juan Diego and Co. Or just myself there, and and of course we have we have website WhanDiego.us, www.juandiego.us, and well Juan Diego Network podcast, all kinds of podcasts. I'm sure a lot of our everything. listeners already subscribe to that. So Ho hopefully, 
If not, <laughs> definitely check it out. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank and you. we'll be praying for you and the rest of the season. Please too. Salud. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes. Our sound engineer this month is Frank Tucson. Faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on X and on Instagram at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded this month in the eternal city of Rome. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you soon. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.